Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the CX Goalkeeper Podcast. Your host, Greg, will have smart discussions with friends, experts, and thought leaders on customer experience, transformation, and leadership. Please follow this podcast on your preferred platform. I am sure you will enjoy the next episode with the guest I selected for you. Ladies and gentlemen, Tonight it's really a big, big pleasure because Neil Taff is back on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Hi, Neil. How are you? Greg, how are you? I usually don't get to call you Greg. I call you CX Goalkeeper, but it's great to, to be back with you again. It's been some time and I've been cheering you from afar, watching you uh, grow and make great content. And it's an honor and privilege for me to be back together with you. Thank you. Then from the CX Goalkeeper to the President, I say thank you very much for participating again To, to this show. I think today we have an interesting topic to share. We are speaking about PPOs and you are extremely successful. We saw uh, so several articles related also to your expansion to South Africa. But before we deep dive in this topic, we would learn a bit more about you. Therefore, Neil, could you please quickly introduce yourself? Happy to do so. So I'm Neil Toff. I'm the president and co-founder of Callzilla. We are an outsourced contact center also known by some people as BPO or business process outsourcing. What I would say is the people that are listening, please don't hang up. Don't leave. Don't leave the podcast. Uh, BPO is an interesting subsegment of the customer experience contact center world, but is critical to what all of us are doing right now. What we experience in BPO is a microcosm. It's an example of what is taking place in the larger CX community. So I think what we will talk about today is absolutely relevant to what all of us are going for going through and experiencing um, in the customer experience world. And to double down on what you said, I think what I would like also to ask you is which values drive you in life? I, I love that question. When I first started in this business, I don't think I gave much importance to values, to be honest. I thought it was just execute, operate, get clients, take calls, respond to the calls, hang up the, on the calls and be done with it. Well, I learned that if you don't have values, if you don't have culture, it will be a big problem for you. Culture, 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 as they say. Um, culture is so important in what we do as a service provider, as a company, as an employer, um, and as a company that has relationships with clients, the, the companies that hire us, and the things that we want our team members to do in the way they serve um, our clients, customers. Culture is absolutely critical to what we do. As they say, culture is what happens when you're not looking, when you're not paying attention. Are people working? Are they productive? Do they love where they work? Are they motivated? What do they believe your company stands for, et cetera, et cetera. And we've realized over the years that you have to be very, very good and very deliberate and intentional at this. Our culture is uh, most recently, I would say, updated, rethought, re-envisioned, re-imagined um, with three core concepts. And these three core concepts, I have to give credit to Annette Franz in her book, Built to Win. The importance of being employee-centric, the importance of being client-centric. Now, being client-centric, is we adapted that a little bit because we serve clients. So being client-centric. And then third, being customer-centric. So placing employees, clients, and customers at the exact center of everything that we do, giving each of those groups a seat at the table 
when we are talking, reviewing, creating, um, analyzing, they, each of those entities has to have a seat, has to have a voice, has to be able to be part of decisions, decision-making process. Um, and if we do each of those things, I think we will have a culture that is truly able to provide the best, most optimal and high quality uh, customer experiences imaginable. I think that's incredible what you are saying and what you are saying. As you said at the beginning, like a joke, don't leave because we are speaking about BPOs and it's part of the customer experience. If we think about BPOs 25 years ago, it was really about operate, 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 delivering. And now this is really an important topic and it's part of a strategic decision of company, of businesses to collaborate with BPOs and create this. And you are sharing really uh, interesting uh, items, interesting views on how important is the culture also for you. It's not only about cost, but it's about people because clients, employees and customers, they are all uh, human beings. And therefore, it's it's key to, to work on that. I'm super thrilled to kick off the discussion. Normally, now I say we described, we discussed, we introduced the, the top player, but you are not the top player because you are the president. And therefore, we described the president. And now let's let's start the game and discuss about BPO. We shared that at the beginning. Uh, you uh, expanded to South Africa, and I think you faced some challenges and some opportunities in terms of tr transforming your operations uh, to a new market, to a new culture, and for new workforce. What's your view on that? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. And I want to clarify. So we are a U.S. company. Uh, we serve mostly uh, companies that are in the U.S. or European companies or global companies that have a presence in the U.S. And we help these companies mostly interact with their customers in the U.S. We operate our contact centers from outside the U.S. So we deliver service from Colombia in South America and now more recently from South Africa. We don't serve those individual in-country markets, but we operate from those markets back towards North America. So just to be uh, hopefully able to have, have, <clears throat> have explained that well. Um, it is always an interesting challenge when you're operating what we call here nearshore, or in other cases, offshore. Now, those, depending on who you ask, those could be really uh, sometimes dirty words. They don't. A lot of people hear nearshore or offshore, and they're thinking the worst. And and I understand why that happens. And, and our job is is to uh, put uh, people at ease to think that uh, when we handle their custom companies, the customers, that uh, these are actually solutions. These are problem uh, problem solving. We're removing headaches by being able to operate from these markets. South Africa is a wonderful market for us, uh, specifically for multiple reasons. Uh, as we serve the U.S., as you can imagine, the court language of service for the U.S. is English. And... Um, it is not easy to hire now in the U.S. Uh, onshore, as we say, to have people work in a contact center, whether it's an in-house contact center or an outsourced contact center. Those jobs are – there's so many of those jobs that are open, people are not willing to work in them. Or if they are willing to work on them, they turn over. The attrition, the turnover rate is very fast. And so we begin to look at countries outside the U.S. where we can provide these services. And so South Africa is a brilliant one. Colombia is too, but South Africa is the newest place for us. Uh, it has native English um, and in, in English that is absolutely gorgeous. It's pristine, top quality, very easy for people, for consumers in the U.S. to understand someone in South Africa. Um, it is... Um, 
a market where there is a very large available labor pool. South Africa suffers a high unemployment rate. And so about one third of the population that is eligible to work is actually unemployed. So there are people looking for jobs. It creates an amazing opportunity for us as an employer to hopefully find people that want to join our team, um, view us as an employer of choice, hopefully a premium employer where they can uh, not just find a job, but a career, a home, someplace that they love working for, love working for and with and have career opportunities. Um, and have a chance to to learn and grow. Uh, there's an element in South Africa that people talk a lot about impact sourcing. So uh, people in South Africa that come from backgrounds that uh, might be disadvantaged economically, maybe uh, work experience, maybe educationally, and we're providing some opportunities to, to people that might not otherwise have them. That's a wonderful element of what we're doing. Uh, but the bottom line is that uh, South Africa has gorgeous English, available labor and here's for, for me the 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 most important point you can hear their smiles so while you may not be seeing the people in the contact center but the customers that interact with them will hear smiles they will feel warmth over the phone over chat over email over text messages south africa generally speaking culturally is a very warm open um intelligent um able agile workforce and we're thrilled to be able to uh, open that service delivery option now uh, to our client base i think what what you're sharing sharing makes totally sense and also my experience with south africa it's they really care about people and the business that you are in it's important to care about people to solve their problem and and therefore i, I can totally understand what what you're saying and this is really an interesting strategic moves and staying in, in strategic, you are uh, one of the leaders in the B BPO industry. What strategy do you implement to build a cohesive and high-performing team, both locally and internationally? And how do you ensure effective communication and collaboration? Yeah, it's th there are daily challenges uh, how to operate a BPO that is literally global with client base uh, in the U.S., uh, management base spread throughout the world, and employees also spread throughout the world. Culture, we talk about culture. We have to have a unified culture, a unified understanding of culture. We have, I think, enhanced and elevated um, what some companies call human resources. We now call people success. So trying to make our team members and all, of, all people that work for Callzilla successful and understanding what that means. As we have a younger and younger workforce, um, it's a challenge to understand what that demographic really truly wants, what's important for them. Uh, people that are millennials and now Gen Z, it's, those are different objectives, different goals, different ideas of how they want their work to be perceived, how they want to, to, to perform labor versus how we who are a bit older uh, once thought of, of, of work. So trying to get to understand that. But the important things are, again, putting the employee at the center of what we do and putting customers at the center of what we do and understanding what that truly means. I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of the operation things yet, but we know our job is to respond as quickly as we can to customers, to resolve their problems. And if we do so in a way that is fast and actually resolves a problem, I think we have a greater likelihood of achieving what we all talk about is customer success or resolution and satisfaction, all of these metrics of voice of customer, 
satisfaction, resolution, um, so that then those things translate into a better result for our clients. Greater uh, loyalty, greater customer lifetime value, more satisfied customers. Hopefully those translate to the top line and the bottom line for, for our clients. I really, I really enjoy what you're saying because it's not about speed and not only about speed, average speed of answer, average speed of resolution, but it's about satisfaction and, and resolution because at the end you want the customer to be happy because you resolve this problem and ensuring that you have also a, a human connection with them. This is so important. So um, I, I would say we used to manage the things that some people refer to as call center for dummies. Average handle time, average speed of answer, service levels. Those things are important. But now we have so much more to look at. Resolution, satisfaction, voice of customer, quality. So this is one thing I think that I'm, I'm really excited about. We've used today some great technology. Some people call it speech analytics or text analytics. The conversational AI to give us an idea of what is actually happening in a customer interaction. The technology can tell us. They will know. The technology will, will show is there uh, what is sentiment? Is it a good experience? Is it a bad experience? Is customer sentiment good or it's negative? Um, what's happening in an inter interaction? Is there dead air? Is there a mention of an escalation? Is there a request for a supervisor? Is there a mention of a certain word or certain idea? And, and the technology will show us so we know in almost real time what is exactly happening on a call or an email or a chat or a text instead of having to wait days and you know days and or hours and hours in the old way of doing things quality is no longer just a score on a scorecard we used to say ah the qa score for this call was 83.26% we what does that mean it doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean anything especially if there isn't resolution and some type of satisfaction so playing with those variables and understanding and using the technology to get to a point where we know how good or not good the quality of the interaction was, and if we achieve the true objectives of the interaction, which should be at a minimum resolution and satisfaction. And and this is a game changer because I know companies that st stopped speaking about handling time and they started speaking about experience time because this is the time that you are in contact with the with the customer, the agent is in contact with the customer or the the, client, uh, the, the customer, and there is the, the real valuable time that you are spending because the customer is focused on what you are saying and only using different words and not speaking always only about speed, it completely changed the game. Yeah. No more call center for dummies, as they say. It's now try to utilize data and analytics and really share an interaction when, in, an in an interaction. What is exactly happening? Not with a score, but with ideas, with concepts, with insights. And now we have the ability to do that. That's one thing that's really exciting for me and that uh, is a challenge, yet an incredible opportunity at our hands and one that I get excited about every day because we learn from it and, and are figuring out how to use it in different ways. And now you're explaining that you are prioritizing customer experience. And what unique approaches do you take to ensure consistent and exceptional services delivery, taking into account, again, cultural nuances, different languages, different markets, and different time zones? Yeah, so I'll go back to the response I just shared, which is the technology allows us to standardize. 
So in the old days, you know, you would have someone called a, Q, a, a QA monitor or a QA agent, and they'd be sitting with a headset over there back in the corner, and they weren't allowed to talk to anybody. We'd have to keep them separate so that they wouldn't mix and mingle and have become friendship friends with the people in the operation and, and mix or, 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 or confuse the scores. Now, and, and by the way, those people, they're humans. And by the way, that job was really tedious. The turnover, the attrition for those jobs was as high, if not higher, than the traditional customer service representative in the contact center. So that person, whose job it would be to listen and score 1%, 2% of calls, by the way, is also human, commits errors. Their work is subjective. Sometimes they call out sick. They also uh, have terrible turnover. So what do you do with that? How can you think that... Or how is, can we as operators and, and, and administrators think that the um, work that they do is representative? It's not. It's highly subjective. It's highly limited. Now we have the technology to be able to monitor and listen to 100% of the interactions in a reduced period of time, and it's no longer subjective. And so we get the feedback just like this. The accuracy is very high and just continuing to improve. And now we don't have to have dozens of people sitting in the back room over there with the headsets doing error-filled work. The technology tells us like this. So it helps to standardize what we're truly trying to measure and evaluate and keep everybody on the same page, whether they're in Colombia, South Africa, the U.S., India, Philippines, Switzerland, wherever it is. It doesn't matter. The technology makes the, the playing field level. I think that's that's really what you're saying is technology is the mean. Uh, you're speaking about automation, about AI. And perhaps could you please share uh, how does Godzilla foster innovation and ensuring also perhaps if you have some specific initiative that you can or are willing to, to share with, with the audience. No secret, please. Or if you have them. <laughs> I, I don't have the secret to innovation. So innovation is... Um, a, a term I think that is sometimes confused. The easy thing when you think about innovation is, are we curing cancer? Are we creating patents? Are we doing something new for the first time that's never been seen in the world? And that's, those, are, those are examples of innovation, of course. But what I tell my team is our job is not to cure cancer. Our job is to find ways to do things better, cheaper, faster. And if we're using simply a new piece of technology or introducing a new process, or just simply measuring things different and better, those are also examples of innovation. I don't expect when we, we set our innovation goals for our team, we have some uh, um, goals that are twice yearly to observe that each department has proposed and executed or attempted to execute or in the process of executing an innovation. By the way, we're not only rewarding successful innovation, as we know, some innovations are going to fail, and that's okay. We're trying not to, we're trying to remove the stigma of a failed innovation. It's okay to fail. And trying to create that, by the way, as part of the culture, telling our team, we use this expression, dare to dream, dare to make a proposal, dare to make an idea. It's okay. I had this conversation this past week with someone on my team who's kind of at a lower level in the organization, and I we, we discovered there's a gap in a process. And I, I asked him, so what do you think? How, how are we going to fix this? And he said, do I have permission to do that? And I wanted to pull my hair out and thinking, of course you have permission. You don't need permission. You're the one closest to it. You see a gap, make it happen. Make the improvement happen. I'll help you. Let me know if I can help. 
but it's in your hands. You're the manager of this process. You shouldn't have to ask me for permission. I want you to act. And so that's part of the culture as well, getting people to understand that they are the owners of the outcome. I'm not the owner. My title as president doesn't give me uh, the responsibility to fix those problems. I want them to take the responsibility to fix the problems. Anyway, creating that structure, that culture, so that twice yearly they can show what uh, innovations they've proposed and put into process. We're not yet going to evaluate whether it was successful, whether they earned a patent for it, whether they cured cancer. No. I just want to be able to, to tie results to make things better, cheaper, or faster. And it can be one or of those or all of them or some of them. And that's okay. Better, cheaper, faster. By the way, better is quite subjective. Is it better? Is it a better something that leads to a better experience for employees? Better experience for customers? Is it something that reduced some cost? Um, is it something that reduced the amount of time to be able to, to have a an outcome? Those are the guidelines of how we uh, look at innovation. And what you're saying, and also in this example of the processes, a lot of people are always uh, looking for uh, the best possible and the biggest possible project or innovation to change everything. But what you're sharing is also this continuous improvement, as you said, two times a year doing a, a change. A lot of small changes have the impact of a big big change and have a positive impact that everybody's participating and therefore they are part of the success story and then the, co the company can evolve quicker. I think that's also extremely important. Absolutely. So uh, one thing I forgot to mention is that we are ISO 9001 uh, certified. So part of the ISO model is continuous improvement. You have to seek out continuous improvement. And by the way, to maintain our certification, we are audited yearly. And so we have to document everything, measure everything, and at the end of the year, show once again to the auditors, the outside auditors, this is what we did, this is how we worked on things, this is what we implemented, this is what we didn't implement, this is what the successes, these are the failures. But as long as it has documentation and results and measurements, then it's part of the process. Continuous improvement is absolutely a part of the culture of ESO, of ISO, and, and in Callzilla. And uh, it's, it's extremely interesting because uh, also throughout this discussion, you shared a, a lot of your experiences, uh, cultural change. Then you, you shared the importance of having values. Now to foster innovation, to change the importance of employees, client, and, and customer. And perhaps I am super keen to ask this question. <laughs> you are a leader since uh, several years, the president uh, of Colzilla. Uh, what are the, the leadership lessons that you have learned throughout your career, in particular related to this transformation, uh, customer centricity, and also achieve, achieving this sustainable growth? Because you are in the business since 12 years, if I understood well. We've been in business 18 years. On June 30 of this year will be 18 years. Um, you, you, it's a great question. I don't know if I'm going to give you something original. The things that I say might be you know, what you've seen or read from other people, but they absolutely, in my experience, have, have resonated there and they're true. Fail hard, fail fast. It's okay to fail. That's number one. There are things we're going to try that are going to work. There's some things that aren't going to work, but it's okay. Get over it, fail, and move on. Number one. Number two, um, the value of employees. I admit that for me, employees, when I first started, did not come first. They did not. I always thought customers came first. And I might have gotten away with that belief almost up until the pandemic. 
And then the pandemic hit and all of a sudden employees became scarce and even harder to attract and even harder to retain. And so my thinking has changed drastically. The value of employees is, um, is tantamount to what we do. Without employees, there's nothing. Now, everyone talks about technology. Everyone talks about digital transformation. Um, those things in all of our organizations are important. We're in the context into world, which is driven by technology. Everyone talks about it, digital transformation. But for me, the most important lesson of the pandemic is analog transformation. People in process, improving experience, becoming more efficient, being better, cheaper, faster, but driven by the people. The people deciding what technologies to use, where to implement them, how to design experiences to make things better, cheaper, faster. There's a uh, well-known thought leader, writer, author um, named uh, Rishad Tobakwala. And he talks about um, poetry, not plumbing. Plumbing is the connections, the engineering, the way things fit together. Those are clearly important things in our ecosystems of our companies, of our societies, of our of, of everything that we do. But you need the poetry, the art to complement the science, to complement the pieces. The art, the poetry is what gets people to feel, to feel connected, to be in love, to have feelings about what they do and how to be motivated to be a part of that ecosystem. So for me, absolutely technology, digital transformation, but analog transformation. People in process are still so important to what we do. It's uh, three comments from my side, and I need to take care because I want to remember them. The first one you mentioned, uh, Richard, I think he has an outstanding uh, newsletter. Please, I will share the link in the show notes because every Sunday you can read and find mind-blowing information about any topics, and you can and it's free. Learn something. You don't have to. You don't have to pay anything. It's free. It comes to you in the in the U.S. every Sunday morning for you. I think maybe Sunday afternoon. It's it's a wonderful piece of advice and storytelling, right? Exactly. This is this is one thing. The second thing that you shared, and for me, it's key also in my corporate job, in my corporate role as uh, responsible for the digital, digital transformation. Transformation is not only about technology. It's about culture. It's about measurement. It's about governance. And everything what you said, the analog transformation is part of the digital transformation. They goes hand in hand because without having this analog transformation that you mentioned, then it's it's not possible. You can put there the best possible technology in place, but if nobody is using that, then it doesn't work. Yeah. And the last thing that I want to mention also, because we know each other since some years is you are, you are also, and this is, I think, an extremely important thing also that you mentioned in the pre-discussion, lifelong learner. You are learning a lot. You are trying, adjusting and, and ensuring that also with your outstanding podcast, we are expecting you to start again, <laughs> fireside chat without the first. I think there gives... Uh, to us and to you also the great opportunity to learn such personality like like Richard because I think you you interviewed him on on your podcast and uh, and then 
it's it's incredible. You're the CEO, the president, but you are still continuously learning. And that is, I think, something that I say also for me, it's extremely important, interesting, and it pushed me to continue doing what I'm doing because we can learn from people like you. And that's 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 great. I, I'm grateful for that. Thank, thank you for saying that. You know, what's amazing in this podcast, look, it's, it's uh, April of 2023. Everybody is talking about one thing, and that's chat GPT. Thankfully, we haven't talked about it, and I don't think we need yet to talk. Everyone else is talking about it. This is the anti-chat GPT podcast. Of course, we're all going to use chat GPT. We have to. We have to figure it out. But that's where the poetry comes in, the poetry to figure out how to use the plumbing, to, the analog part. The people have to create process to figure out how and where and when to use the technology but the people first. Without the people, there's no business. There's no customer experience without the people. No, and 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 the passion for what we are doing. For me, it's extremely easy to discuss with you. We could discuss hours and hours because we are passionate about what we are doing. But I still have some questions for you. One question that it's, it's really important to me, it's um, let's close our eyes. 10 years from now, you are back on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. And you can come whenever you want, but in this case, in 10 years from now, what we are discussing about. Wow, that's a that's a great one. You know, I'm 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 not so sure I have the answer. I, I do think that uh so I know a couple of things we're not going to be discussing. We're not going to use the term mobile, we're not going to use the term e-commerce, we're not going to use the term online. And by the way, in 2023, I'm not sure why we're using those, because all commerce has all or almost all components of those things. I think those words will disappear. Everything will be online. And it already is, by the way. Smartphone. People still talk about smartphone. Who doesn't have a smartphone? Except maybe our grandparents if they're still living. You know? Those those, those uh, terms, I think, will disappear. I, I have to think that people will continue to be a part of what we do. There will be, and by the way, almost say there are no geographic barriers anymore. So we talk about today, we operate from South Africa and from Colombia. Um, this business is global and there are few to no differences now. What used to be considered emerging markets by highfalutin economies like ours where we both reside, those terms I think are going to go away. Every economy is now has now access to the same learning, the same education, the same tools and technology as we do in these markets. And so the barriers to entry are just going to continue to uh, disappear. And the whole concept of geography and nationality and ethnicity, I think, will just become more and more and more blended and the, the world will truly be more global. That's what I believe. Thank you very much. And now the game is coming to an end. We are in the extra time. Three small questions with three short short answer. Is there a book that you would like to suggest to the audience because it helped you during your career or during your life? The one I alluded to earlier, without a doubt, it's Annette Franz's Built to Win. Um, for me, it's been a game changer. Um, I know Annette personally, but even if I didn't know her personally, the ideas that she put forth in her book in a such a simplified, clear way easy to understand for people at all levels of an organization, all hierarchies, all educational levels, all experience levels. It resonates for all of us. I think it's been a game changer in my own company, in my own career, how I personally and professionally view uh, view the world. I highly recommend Annette's book, Built to Win. 
and I discussed her book also on this podcast. Let's go back to the to this episode. I will share that also uh, in the in the show notes. I think that's really what I really like. It's a practical book. You can read it and you can say, oh, this is an idea I should use in in business. Oh, this is another good idea that I can leverage. I should discuss with this with this person. The the next question is, what's the best way to contact you? I spend uh, an inordinate amount of time on LinkedIn. I'm not sure if I should be embarrassed about that or proud of that. I'm actually, I think, proud of it. Um, I think spending time on LinkedIn is maybe more productive than spending time on Twitter or Snapchat or one of those things, at least professionally speaking. Um, I learn a lot from our colleagues in, 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 in the not only the customer experience world, but the larger business world. I, I enjoy LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to find me. I think my name is at Neil Toff, I think. Um but but I know you'll you'll tag it. I think it's probably in the show notes somewhere. That's that's I think the best way to find find me. My email is in there. I think I probably have my phone number in there. Feel free to contact me or WhatsApp me or email me. Whatever it is is whatever your easiest way to connect with me. I, I enjoy connecting with people. Thank you very much. And the last question is Neil's golden nugget. It's something with that we discussed or something new to leave to the audience. The simplest question is maybe the hardest question. If I were to say, I would, I would say this, it, I'm going to steal it from Annette, the value and importance of employee experience and customer experience. In our case, I would add the third, which is client experience. Uh, it's those things. If you put those at the center of what you do, and you can truly say that you are a customer centric and employee centric organization. I think those are the keys to longevity. Thank you very much, Neil. Please stay with me. I think with this conclusion, uh, without people, without new, without customer, there is no business. It's also from Annette France, and we can conclude this podcast. I really appreciate this discussion and your time on, on the CX Goalkeeper podcast. Thank you very much, Neil. And also to the audience, I hope that you enjoyed this discussion as much as I did. Uh, we love feedback. Please contact Neil, contact me to share anything that, that you learned through this, uh, this uh, episode or to ask any additional question. Thank you very much and bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please share the word of mouth. Subscribe it, share it. Until the next episode, please don't forget, we are not in a B2B or B2C business, we are in a human-to-human -human environment. Thank you!